All right, hey guys, welcome back. It's Luke with Luke Humphrey Running, and we're going to talk today a little bit more about nutrition. So, uh, I hope everybody had a great weekend. This when I'm recording this, it's the uh, Monday after Grandma's. Looks like uh, some great weather for that, and looks like there's a lot of uh, trials qualifiers, Boston qualifiers, PRs, and all that good stuff. So it's a, it's a beautiful course up there, and uh, looks like you got the the day you were looking for. So. Congratulations to, to all you guys. Um, you know, so last week we talked about uh, um, macronutrients and the role of, of balance and general health as well as, as performance. And, uh, you know, like I, that's really kind of what I wanted people to take out of it at least. You know, so at the end of the day, balance is key. And when there's major swings to focus on one thing, that swing really should be short term and recognize that it really isn't necessarily meant to be sustainable for, for the long term. And when I met my day, I mean years, right? So like, you know, whatever you choose, you know, if you go into a high sw a swing, like a high carbohydrate diet, or even a high, high fat, low carbohydrate diet, something, you know, anything on either end of the spectrum isn't something that's that really should be viewed as, um, as being sustainable, you know, so it's all about, ultimately, that pendulum is going to swing back and forth, but it's going to settle, settle in the middle. And that's really why I want to take wanted people to take out of it. I mean, even if, you know, just think about it like in terms of uh, of training. You're not going to train at the high level where you're going to need a 70% carbohydrate diet all the time, right? And you're not going to be at a point where you really can just eat 70% of your diet of fat and and keep that. You know, it's it's not viable. And I know some people are going to push back on that, but ultimately, when you look at those things, there tends to be a, a swing back and forth, regardless of of what direction. So, um, but at the end of that discussion, I mentioned that I, and that was the previous, previous, uh, talk we had. So I guess I should probably number my episodes so we can just reference that, but it's just uh, last time. So, um, it was just a roll of macronutrients, um, in the diet. And, um, so with that, uh, I want, we talked about where we can move on from there. And one of the areas, um, was the idea of the definitions that are these diets actually contain and why they lack continuity and that can blur the lines between what we think we are doing and what we actually are doing. So um, that's what I want to explore today. And in particular, I want to explore an article from, uh, from Burke and colleagues that was published in 2018. And that serves as a guide, guide to understanding diet and exercise strategies. Um, the entire article, this, I'm referencing this entire article throughout uh, what we're talking about today. So when I talk about something and I and I describe a diet and a definition, that is what we are um, what we are referencing. So, um, so with that, let's jump right into it. Um, and I want to discuss the uh, general strategies here. These are for overall health and talking mainly into running performance and uh, adaptation to to training. All right. So first off, let's talk about the high carbohydrate diet. So this is one that. I would say most people are familiar with, but even even still, we I don't know if we actually really know the true definition. So, um, so based on that article, this is this is what we traditionally think when we think of uh, endurance athletes and their diet. You know, we talk about the, the you know just pasta and all the pasta you can handle and all that stuff. But uh, there really is no clear definition of what it actually is, other than it's considered a daily diet. I mean, this is considered you know they they reference it as a static diet, which you know, it's something you just do over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, we talk about that 
we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But that's really where we talk about it. just eat a lot of carbs pretty much every day, especially when we're in high training. Um, so definitions of a high carbohydrate diet range from anything over, um, you know, one 50% carbohydrate. This is your daily diet, so 50% carbohydrate, and then 60 to 70% carbohydrate, carbohydrate, and then you can go into terms of grams, so 500 to 600 grams of carbohydrate per day, or seven to 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And so the underlying premise is that all endurance athletes have a daily need for high amounts of fuel and that these fuels are met by high carbohydrate intakes to support the hard training. But overall, it is not recommended to be using in isolation because it's a poor correlation with muscle fuel needs for training. So, you know, I hinted at it last time as well, where like even body type um, might indicate more of what you're burning um, and that's a, I mean, I actually, I'm not affiliated with any of these people at all, but I, uh, they had a big Father's Day sale, so I, I picked it up, but I, I got one for myself and, and Nikki, um, you know, the, what is that company called, Origins or something like that, but it, you know, I had the running one, and actually Coach Mike Morgan forwarded it to me, because he was going to, he was going to try it as well, so I sent that in, so I'm still waiting the results back, but it's, it's just interesting to see, like, what that plays in the foods that we need to eat. So it'll be interesting to see what that, what that talks about, but you know, we can talk about body types and, you know, like I'm a pretty textbook definition of, of an ectomorph. So, you know, kind of tall, skinny, um, you know, I don't have the, the V shape that a more muscular person would have. And, you know, I definitely don't have the mesomorph, which is, you know, the other end of the spectrum on that. Um, and those, what those makeups of you are is, is dictates, you know, kind of what you're going to be burning too. So, and then I would think you'd have to look at it in terms of, okay, so I'm here now and this is where I'm at when I'm sedentary. How does that change when I'm into an endurance program or maybe even if I'm into a strength and conditioning program, you know, whatever the case is, that's probably going to shift what your overall needs are too. So there's so many factors involved there, but, uh, but I thought it was interesting. So there's really, you know, it can mean anything from 50 to a 70% carbohydrate diet it can mean 500 to 600 grams. And I, I, how many times I've gotten emails from people in their taper mode where they're like that amount of carbohydrate, just, they can't do it. Um, they, they feel bloated. They feel, you know, there's just a lot going on. So in seven to 10 grams of carbohydrate per body weight, that's pretty significant amount. There's no line. There's no doubt about that. So um, to make, to think of that being as a daily diet that would be that would be tough to um to sustain i believe but uh uh, if anything take it if you take anything away from this diet is that it's broad and it's based on the research done in the 1960s which which is good i mean you consider it uh you know so this would really be seen as a starting point for endurance athletes and don't take away from this that carbohydrate is not needed in larger amounts but rather that there's more it's more there's more info needed on an individual basis and then you have to look at things like type of exercise, volume, intensity, uh, and it goes back to what you've heard me say before, eat to your daily needs, you know, because one day you might need a carbohydrate, high carbohydrate diet. The next day you might not need, you know, like this literally could switch day to day. And the problem with this is that we're talking about using it for, you know, day after day after day after day for how, how long, you know, and that's, that's, um, that's the question, you know, and I've seen in, in other texts where, you know, something like that really shouldn't be t- sustained for more than like 14 weeks. And then you switch back to something that's more balanced, you know. So th- this is this this type of diet isn't necessarily t- to improve your health; it's more to improve your endurance performance, 
which makes it not sustainable because, and, and when we talk about this, is you shouldn't be in peak training all the time. And that's where a lot of you get burnt out is because you just train, train, train for the same race or for the same distance or, you know, whatever the case is. And you never allow yourself to kind of shift back to, to neutral. Uh, and then, so you, there's so many things there. So your diet can, can play a role in that as far as, you know, if you're always eating this diet, then you're going to be missing out on other things too. So there's a lot going on there. All right. So the second one I want to talk about is the uh, high carbohydrate availability. And this is when carbohydrate is spread across the day and is targeted at optimizing glycogen stores by exogenous supplies. So you're taking it in um, to meet fuel demands of, a, of days of training or an actual event. The amount is based on goals of training and body weight. Daily intake can go from 3 to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, basically, what we're we're going to make every run of focus for providing carbs right before, during, and after a run, and the rest of the day might be a lower overall intake of carbohydrates. So our primary focus is carbs right before, during, and after a run or a workout or an event. Um, and the potential problems here is that it takes some guesswork and some experimentation on your part until you really nail down what works. And in really high volume of training, so if somebody's doing two sessions a day or 25 hours or more a week per training, then a person's going to probably be doing some training with low carbohydrate availability. You're just not going to be able to keep up to where um, you're always either going to be in a state of training or eating. And so it takes away from other things. So you're not always going to be eating and there's going to be other things going on. So essentially, like if you're fully loaded going into that morning session and then you're doing an afternoon session, chances are you probably won't be completely replaced completely replaced everything you've burnt during that first workout especially if that first workout was your major one of the of the day um, so you just have to keep that in mind so regardless of what you try you're going to be in some state of low carbohydrate availability if you're training at a certain level but for most people who are listening to this they're probably not going to be in that I mean 25 two sessions a day some people are um, and this could be true if you're doing a run in the morning and then work out in the afternoon uh, a strength workout or um, but 25 hours a week is is pretty significant and if you're doing that you're probably um, tr you're probably a very high level athlete I mean that's that's about what I would say I trained at um, when I was more professional um, you know back in the 214 215 days that's what I those were the kind of hours of training I was putting in um, and then you go, you can move on from there to the third one, which is the periodized high carbohydrate availability. Um, so high carb, high carb availability is pretty much every day, every run you're focusing on that. Uh, and then the periodized version, essentially it's the same strategy as the high carb availability regular, but now we decide on which ones we're going to make available based on the goals of training. So each single session might have a different approach based on where you are at in training. So early on, we may make all easy runs and shorter long runs low carb availability. And then to keep the intensity of SOS days on a high uh, days high, we eat a high carbohydrate diet, right? Um, going into it, make sure we're glycogen stores are loaded. We take a little pregame, we fuel during it, and then we really get on it after recovery. And then, you know, the next day might be an easy day where it's more of a low carbohydrate availability. So it's all periodized based on where you're at in training. Um, you know, I take that as, you know, when they talked about this in the study, they were talking about doing it for weeks. So most of the studies looked at like 
uh, what was it, one to three weeks of doing this. And performance was improved, I believe. Uh, but some of the, you know, like it felt, it, what it, for my, what I took from it was it was basically a 50 50. It was going to work. Some studies showed performance improvement, some didn't. So I think it depended on makeup of the study, number of stub subjects, and length of time that it was periodized for. So that would be one thing that you would you would have to consider. All right, so the next one is non-ketogenic, it's a mouthful, low-carbohydrate, high-fat. So um, you're, you're not quite developing ketosis for all you keto, keto runners out there. Um, you're taking in enough carbs where you're holding that portion of, of um, using fat and protein to develop the ketones. You're staying out of that ketosis state, but it's still a chronically low carbohydrate availability. So it's, it's low for you know, up to months below muscle needs so that adaptations occur to promote fat, fat oxidation. So you're burning more fat. However, it is high enough to avoid ketosis. So a typical diet is 15 to 20% carbohydrate, 15 to 20% protein, and 60 to 65% of fat for daily intake. Or carbohydrate can be less than two and a half grams per kilogram of body weight. So one important factor here is that it is combination with a moderate endurance exercise program of less than five hours per week. So that's the kicker to me. I think that's very important. So you are taking in a little bit, you know, 20% of carbohydrate, you, you can function fairly well. You probably have a little bit of an adjustment period, things like that. But at the end of the day, you're not exercising very much. Like a 60 minutes a day is essentially what the American Heart Association recommends just for regular people. Not training for a marathon, not training for an ultra, not, tra not even training for a 5K or 10K. It's just your average Joe trying to save himself from having a heart attack. That's five, five hours a week. So as most of you know, you follow in the book or you're following one of our plans, you're probably substantially over five hours a week. You're probably at least six, seven hours a week with, with your training. Heck, you're probably getting two hours of that in one day. Um, and then, you know, even your easier runs might be over an hour. So you're probably way over that regardless. Um, and that's, so I think that is key. So it can work and it can promote fat, fat oxidation, but you're not training very hard. And that's the key to that statement there. Um, I think that there are some important aspects to look at this. The first is that there's no doubt that it can increase fat, fat oxidation and thus probably overall improve your overall body composition. You know, I don't doubt that at all. Um, this alone will probably improve your endurance performance. So if you weigh 200 pounds and you lost 25 pounds of fat, then yes, you will probably run faster. That's not, you know, that's not rocket science, right? If you're lighter, but you still have the same cardiovascular system, then you're probably going to run a little bit faster. Um, but this is only going to be true up to a point because it, you get to eventually you're going to get to a point where there's only so much excess fat you can lose. And then you're going to start eating into other sources, mainly protein and muscle and things like that. Or if you're, if you're at a point where you're just eating excess fat and your, your daily intake of fat is 60 to 65%, but you're down to the point where you've really lost all the excess fat that you need, then what's going to happen? If you're eating too much fat, you're just going to start storing it as fat again, right? And so that's, that's one thing you have to be key. But again, I, the, if this is a short-term solution, so if you're a low-level runner, you're brand new to the sport, you just want to start training, 
and you're 50, you've got 50 pounds of excess fat, then I can be bought that you can do this for a few months and utilize this in combination with low level moderate training to lose that excess body fat. But the key to me is that you have to be willing to say, okay, now I'm in a healthier standpoint and I'm going to shift everything I'm doing. I'm going to get back to a more balanced diet and I'm going to get so that I can sustain a higher level training program. And I think that's key. There's got to be, you've got to be willing to um, recognize that that's not, you're not going to do this the rest of your life. It's, it's, it's a short-term solution to, to put you in a better point to where you can be more balanced in everything that you do. And I think that's key. All right. So the next one here is the ketogenic low carb, high fat diet. So a person here severely restricts their carbohydrate intake. It's less than 5% carbohydrate or 50 grams a day, while protein is at 15 to 20% and fat is 75 to 80% of daily intake. The basic premise of that is that the diet will produce very high rates of fat oxidation within five days to two weeks. Uh, but from everything I've read, those five days to two weeks can be very intense. If you have a spouse, you may want to tell them to keep their distance. Um, extreme fatigue can occur for the first three weeks as your body makes that adjustment. Uh, overall exercise does seem to be sustainable up to about 75% VO2 max, which is why a lot of endurance runners say, hey, it's fine for me. I'm not getting to 75% VO2 max. But I will say this, the higher level of performance you want to have, the more that 75% VO2 max comes into play. Um, so if you're pretty low trained runner, um, you know, 75% might equal, you know, half marathon pace. So anything is for, so for you, if you're at a lower level, anything over, heck, even just going for uh, a fart, like might put, you, you know, just a, just pickups, things like that might put you over 75%. So you have to be really careful that. So it seems like you'll never hit that, but you'd be surprised, you know, and especially if you're a heavier person, then you, it's going to be even easier for you to get over 75% VO2 max. So it's going to be, so the bottom line though is, you know, if you're just planning on going for walks and walk jogs and, you know, just slow, slow miles, true, that seven, I'll give you that, that 75% may never come into play, but you're also setting your limit of how well you can perform. And we've talked about this and you can read it from me. You can read it from all kinds of people, you know, some of the keys to weight loss. Well, the keys to anything is like variety in what you're doing. So just running slow, easy miles isn't necessarily good either, right? We want to be able to, we can increase fat oxidation by running 75, 80%, 90% VO2 max and doing intervals and things like that. That can improve fat oxidation capabilities, all those things. So you gotta, you gotta just keep the whole picture in mind. But um, so the bottom line is that high intensity exercise is not gonna be tolerated well, if at all, um, which is and another factor, final factor there is involved that severe restriction of food minimizes nutrient density and variety, which I think is key overall. Because if you're doing this to be healthier, you're basically forcing yourself in a position where you're going to have to take some sort of supplement to be healthy, to get the vitamins and minerals that you need. Because just eating 70 for 80% of your daily intake from fat isn't going to get it done. Um, you know, so thinking about the tolerated exercise makes sense. And I just talked about this, but when we discussed Macros, we talked about the body's backup is to make glucose from non-glucose sources. And this can happen from both fat and protein, but it's an extra, it's extra steps and it's really slow. 
so the glycogen and glucose required for higher intensity exercise simply can't be met with these backup mechanisms. And I think it goes back to the level of athlete and their desired goals or outcomes. You know, and I'll even see this with, you know, some people I think that can run faster. I mean, I kind of got into a little bit of an argument with, uh, with somebody who's like, ah, you know, but I've run, I've run 345, you know, and that's great. And that's, that's beautiful. And I love to see that. However, could you run faster if you gave your body the right fuel? And that's something that we, we could not agree to. So, um, I think that's something you have to think about. Yeah, what you did was great, but most of the time, one, people don't think they're able to accomplish what they can accomplish. And two, your diet's going to, no matter what your diet is, you're, you're ultimately going to put a limit on what you're able to do. If I'm eating a high-carb diet, it's going to be harder for me to put muscle on. If I'm eating a, a, a high-fat diet as an ectomorph and a, running 100 miles a week, I'm going to make it hard for my body to recover and make it hard for my body to sustain high intensity exercise you know so there's going to be trade-offs no matter what you look at so you just have to you have to put that in perspective and so I think a lot of people that I've talked to who have lost significant amounts of weight are now limiting how far they can go because they're stuck into that diet where they got them to where they are in the first place but now you have to see yourself as a completely different person right you might no longer be a mesomorph you might be more of a uh, uh, an ectomorph something like that so you might have switched how your body acts you know, what your body needs. And then if you want to be able to sustain more mileage, you have to be able to provide that, that source for it. So you just have to look at, to all of those things. And I think it's, I think overall it's very, very interesting and it's not, it goes way beyond calories in calories out. Um, you know, and I, one guy posted on Facebook and I think he was just kind of being joking around. I kind of saw his point, but it's like, but that's the problem people get into. You have, you have really thin people on the other hand, who just, train so they can eat whatever they want and those people are probably limiting what they're able to perform at and then you have the other people who are just stuck in a mindset where hey i ate this high carb or low carb high fat diet and i lost 30 40 pounds but now i've kind of limited how high i can go as far as performance because you know i'm not that same person anymore so it really it's really interesting and i think it really it takes a a fairly in-depth look case-to-case basis um you know, and I, but I think it, overall, I think it's interesting. The body is really good at making do with what is being provided. Um, and also, I think that what works for a lower level athlete isn't particularly going to work for a higher level athlete. And by that, I simply am talk, I'm not talking about what you're able to tolerate as far as training. And it might, I guess that's not true. I am, but it could be other factors involved. It might just be because you're a brand new runner, you know, or you you started off with the goal of losing 50 pounds, and now you've got to a point where, hey, now I want to try to qualify for Boston because you've seen how much improvements can happen. But so don't take it personal when I'm saying higher level, lower level athlete. Um, but I'm referring both to uh, ability and the amount of training that they're doing. Uh, third, I think it's important to note that these long term, you know, quotes, diets aren't really sustainable for more than a short period of time. Everything I've seen is like 14 weeks. You know, that's high carb, that's that's uh, low carb, high fat, everything, you know, it's something that is, it's simply a mechanism to try to improve your performance. You know, anything other than a basic diet is, you know, it's either for a short term to lose weight and improve your physique, or it's short term to make your performance better in a certain event. Okay. Um, and I talked about that and just go down here. Lastly, what's interesting is that these diets the two main variables are fat and carbohydrate. Why do not why do we not change the amount of protein? For most endurance athletes, I think that you could almost say keep a carbohydrate at 50 to 55 percent, 
um, fat at 15% and then increase your protein to 30%. I'd love to see the work numbers on those. Um, you know, you have to work the numbers for grams per kilogram of body weight, but who knows? I mean, I don't know what that means for absolute calories. I don't know, you know, look into it that much, but I think that's an interesting direction a person could take. And, you know, we know carbohydrate needs are going to be slightly higher. So for 50, 55%, um, but so our protein needs, we need to boost our protein. Most, most endurance athletes don't get enough really quality protein in, or if they do, they're eating the vast majority of that daily protein at one meal and it's not good you, you're not absorbing all of it and it's not doing what it needs to be doing so you may look at it on paper and say yeah well i'm getting 100 grams of, of protein in yeah but you know 50 60 of it came from you know the steak you ate at dinner you know i don't know you know whatever whatever the case is so you really have to be careful with that in reality kind of getting off track a little bit but you know for protein you should be spacing that out to fairly equal amounts four or five times a day to really see the benefits of having a higher protein intake to promote protein synthesis, to promote recovery, to maintain muscle mass, even put a little muscle mass on, which is ultimately going to boost your overall metabolism, which is going to decrease the amount of fat you, you store. Because, you know, if, you're, if your metabolism goes from, your resting metabolic rate goes from 1,300 to 1,400 calories a day, that extra 100 calories is probably going to be you sitting in a chair burning fat because you have a little bit more muscle mass. So all those things play a role. All right, anyway, that's another topic for another day, another time. So next time I think we continue on with this article that I've referenced and uh, take a look at more short-term strategies and sequences for workouts and tapering, which they refer to as, as loading. And I believe that that propels us more into the idea that our diet really can shift from day to day. Um, it can shift from training period to training period. It can shift from focus to focus. So if you go from a you know high mileage marathon plan to a lower mileage maintenance plan those dietary needs are also going to shift with it too so um, all in all i think we're starting starting to paint that picture from 10,000 feet um, saying calories in calories out is fine and now we're starting to zoom in and recognize that there is more to that that yes what you eat is what you're going to get rid of and calories in versus calories out in a very broad picture is is true but as you zoom in, you recognize that it's makeup of those calories that are coming in based on the person and what they're doing equals calories out based on what the person is doing, how their makeup is, and all that good stuff. So, um, so it's not just eating 2,000 calories and burning 2,000 calories. It's where is that 2,000 calories coming from and how is that 2,000 calories being burned? And I think that is uh, in a very, very important aspect to look at it. So... In any case, I thought that was I thought this was very interesting, and I've I've read this article a few times, but um, actually writing it out and, and talking about it has been good for me as a coach. But I also think it is good for an athlete to hear and recognize that you know it might give you confidence in what you're doing is right. But I think it hopefully in my what I hope it what it does is it gets people to start thinking more about um, you know day to day things and recognizing how important that nutrition is surrounding what you're doing is so so critical so we've talked about it before you can go mark calendar days off oh i ran six miles a day i did my sos today i took wednesday off i did my tempo on thursday i did all those things in sequence however i still ran like crap and looking at this it's like this could be another reason these are all, you know that's the beauty of training is like learning how to manipulate all these other different variables besides just getting out and running 
and having that have a positive or negative impact on your training. So I just want you to think of it from that standpoint. And I think, uh, um, you know, I think it's a very good open discussion. So with that, I will let you go. I hope you have a great week and we'll talk again later. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.